Welcome to The Square, your podcast from the Iowa League of Cities, bringing you current and important topics from around the state to your town square with our hosts, Mickey Shields, the Director of Membership Services, and Katie Wheeler, the League's Business Relations Coordinator. Our hosts bring you topics that matter to your town square. Welcome back to The Square. How are you today, Mickey? I am wonderful. It is summertime. School is out. Uh, the weather is hot. <laughs> yep. You know, how about you? Yeah, doing good. I, I feel like I was looking at my calendar the other day and I feel like summer's about over. <laughs> kind of <laughs> it fills up quick. You know what's strange is I think coming out of this the pandemic, there seems to be a lot of people who have, they put off vacations mm-hmm. in the past several months or year. And now everyone feels like they're trying to cram it all in. That's, that, that's the sense I get. It feels like we're doing that with our family. We're trying to like make up for yep. lost time and lost trips. So Where are you going? Like, well, we're doing our normal uh, week up in Wisconsin, but we're adding in. We've added in a couple other things. Uh, my wife and I are going to go to the Hinterland Music Festival yep. in August. And I was convinced to camp out. <laughs> I can't wait to hear about this. <laughs> Honestly, I really can't, I can't picture it, but I'm very excited for you. Yeah. So just in case some of our listeners don't know, they probably don't. Um, I am averse to camping, like tent camping. (laughs) Katie knows this about me. Uh, I don't remember the last time I've done it, like actually overnight on a campsite. Um, uh, Seriously, I bet I was in like college. You're so, gonna love it. Yeah, I, and it's you know it's gonna be early August in Iowa, so there's pretty much no chance it's not gonna be like 80 degrees at night, and I'm just like already panicking about sweating and being <laughs> uncomfortable and bugs and. Uh, yeah. We're going tent camping in a couple weeks. For yeah, see, so you can you're good at this. Yeah, you'll be fine. You'll be you'll I'm do sure. great. You'll have so much fun. Yes, it's it'll be a good experience no matter what. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's gonna. <laughs> I still still wondering how my wife convinced me of this, but it'll be fun. Going to the music festival and all that. It's, that's good. It's good to have some of that fun stuff back in our lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what's going on lately? We uh, it's June for the League of Cities, so we just had our golf outing. Your team uh, didn't win. We no, we did not. No, it was it was a, a valiant uh, effort. Uh, I I dragged in two ringers from my neighborhood this year, a couple of buddies of mine, and they did all they could to uh, bring me along and try to win <laughs> the outing, and uh, unfortunately came up a few strokes short. But it was a really fun event. It was we had yeah. our best turnout in a long time, uh, thanks to Katie's leadership. And uh, we had some absolutely wonderful prizes uh, that were uh, drawn and raffled out to folks, to, to the participants. And, of course, the, the winning team got to celebrate in all their glory. So it was, a, yes. it was a great event. Yeah, it was a good event. And our small city workshops are in progress, probably about wrapped up by the time our listeners hear this one. Um, just great information, a good event. So can people hear the recordings of those? Yeah, I, I think we're going to record those two sessions. There's going to be uh, a couple of the virtual ones in the Small City Workshop Series. So I think they'll be available after the fact. We can double check on that. Yeah, but 
cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's it's an interesting topic this year, um, in, in particular because it's the topic is about financing. Uh, and funding infrastructure projects, which is always important, but given everything going on with the American Rescue Plan funding and um, some of the potential uses for that would be for water and wastewater utility infrastructure. So it's it's even more timely than usual. Uh, there's a lot going on, of course, with the American Rescue Plan funds. Um, and there's a lot of confusion still about exactly how you can use those funds, uh, which we're trying to work through as as we go. Uh, so yeah, that that'll be a really uh, good training for folks if they're looking for some information on that. Yes, and then we have MPI and MPA coming up in July, also, and our registration for our annual conference and exhibit in September is alive and happening. Um, we're seeing really good numbers again for that, so I want to encourage everybody to get signed up for conference. The exhibit hall is starting to fill up. It's going to be a good event. That's in Coralville this year. We haven't Absolutely. been there in quite a while. Been and too so, long. Yeah. Then it's Mickey's very, very favorite theme. It's a camping theme. <laughs> it is. A lot of camping going on, man. This <laughs> yeah. is, wow. I might I just have to really dive into the camping world. and Get on board. Yeah, get on board. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that'll be fun. We're really looking forward to it. Missed out on last year, of course, with the pandemic and had to move everything to a virtual conference. Uh, so we're very excited. I know we have a lot of our membership is uh, really looking forward to getting back to the conference and seeing each other and doing all the the fun things that that come that comes with the conference in addition mm -hmm. to all the great workshops. Uh, so really good workshops this year. I yeah. just have to say that one more time. There's <laughs> a lot of good ones this year. Of course. It's going to be hard to pick. Yes, it is. It always is. Uh, but yeah, we have a great lineup and. Uh, all the information you need is online, www.iowaleague.org. Check it out, but you can always ask us questions as well. We're happy to help you. All right. So what do we have this month? What's our, what's our featured topic, Katie? Elections. Elections. It happens to be a city election year. Mm -hmm. It's an odd numbered year. So that is the regular city election year. So we thought with, uh, you know, it's summertime, but uh, fall will be here before you know it. So the elections are going to be coming up. So we wanted to bring in a true expert to discuss what cities need to do to be prepared. So we have Heidi Burhans with the Secretary of State's office with us to talk city elections. Heidi, welcome to the square. Good morning. Thank you for having me today. Well, yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, so to get started, can you share with our listeners your role with the Secretary of State's office and what you all do with, with managing elections around the state? Sure. So the Secretary of State in Iowa is the State Commissioner of Elections, and uh, part of those responsibilities are prescribing uniform practices and procedures and uniform um, official state forms for all elections held in the state. We don't oversee the, um, we don't administer the elections. All of the county auditors are the county commissioners of elections. So they're charged with actually administering the election from start to finish. Um, but then they are following the procedures and processes that we've outlined. They're using the forms that we've prescribed. And so as director of elections, I'm an appointee um, of Secretary Pates and I am in charge of really kind of ensuring that we fulfill the responsibilities outlined by the code. So I work 
very closely with all of the county auditors and their election staff, as does my elections team here in the Secretary of State's office. Right, right. And we have 942 cities in Iowa, 99 counties. I don't know how many school districts. <laughs> so it is a lot, I would imagine, to try to um, work with all those county auditors and elections commissioners to get everything squared away. And not just for city elections. Of course, we have elections every fall. And then we also have special elections, um, depending on what's going on locally. So it's, I'm sure it's a lot for you all to handle. You hit on a, um, an important point there, I think, Mickey, that um, there can be a special election on almost any Tuesday of every year. Mm -hmm. Um, There are designated dates for special elections where uh, county cities and schools can uh, take to the public a public measure, but vacancies can be filled by elections on almost any Tuesday of the year. So um, any given Tuesday, we can have a handful of uh, cities having special elections to fill vacancies. Um, and then, of course, on the special election dates, those designated ones, um, there, we often will have anywhere from 40 to 100 plus elections being held around the state. Yeah. Oh, wow. Geez. That's incredible. Yeah. So before we get into the even more election stuff, let's hear a little bit more about you, uh, your background. Are you an Iowa native? And how did you kind of work your way to the Secretary of State's office? I am an Iowa native. And I took a multi-years-long meandering path to arrive in the Secretary of State's office. Um, After high school, I left the state for uh, college, and then I spent several years living in Chicago and Liverpool, England, working in the non-oil and gas drilling industry. Oh, my. And then um, I returned to Iowa uh, 16 years ago and initially was working in uh, comedy and film. I had gone through the Second City Training Center in Chicago. And so in Des Moines, I uh, got pretty involved in um, improv and sketch comedy writing and performing. And then uh, one of my younger sisters and I um, started the 48-hour film project in Des Moines. And that started in 2005. And I'm so pleased to say that this year will be the 17th year that it's happening wow. uh, in Des Moines. And that's an international um film competition. And so uh, I spent a few years just kind of um, bouncing between uh, the art scene and working for my parents. And then in 2009, I became the city clerk of uh, the city of Truro in the southeast corner of Madison County. Mm -hmm. And I was city clerk for four years. And then I was twice elected uh, the Madison County Auditor in 2012 and 2016. And then halfway through um, my second term, uh, Secretary Pate asked me to become his director of elections. So I joined the Secretary of State's office in February 2019. That is incredible. Wow. And even though you and I have talked, especially back in your city clerk days, I had no idea about the film and um this the comedy stuff that you had uh, I'm impressed. that is incredible definitely a yes. first for the square <laughs> well good i rarely get to be a first of anything so that's yeah nice. that, that is, is insane man that is really cool i love that a very diverse background yeah yeah and i will say that um when i was city clerk um i took the job because i 
I was working for my parents and their office is right across the street from the Truro City Hall. And I, I was looking to become more engaged. I'd already spent some time volunteering and working different organizations. Um, but as a, um, a, I had become a, a homeowner, so as a property taxpayer, and was just tuned in a little more to local government. And then once I became city clerk, I attended as many workshops as possible um, throughout the state, hosted by the League of Cities, um, maybe some special speakers that um, you brought in to, to host different presentations. And I learned so much by local about local government. And I just really hold the League of Cities in high regard. I think you guys um, offer tremendous support to those 942 city clerks out there. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I have You're fun. You're the best guest of all time. That's right. <laughs> Moved up another notch, Heidi. <laughs> oh, gosh, I could go on for hours. Oh. Our, Heidi, uh, November feels like a really long time away right now, but it will be here before we know it. And the nomination, the election process gets started here pretty soon. And can you, can you talk a little about the nomination process for city office um, since that will be here before we know it? You bet. You're right, uh, Katie, that it. you look at the calendar and it's months away. And here in the office, it feels like it's next week. <laughs> so um, with the city election, uh, first, I want to just make a point that in 2019, um, we began combining the school elections that used to be held in September with the city elections that have always been held in November. Mm -hmm. And that we had a, a very successful year um, with that implementation. The auditors did a great job, the candidates, the, the winners, um, everyone really did a great job of working together. And so going forward, um, in general, this election is referred to as the city school election or the regular city school election. So just pointing out for uh, any uh, potential candidates, if this is their first time running for uh, city elected office, um, not to be uh, deterred if they hear about a city school election, uh, that's the right, the right election. Um, so some cities have primary election provisions. Um, city, some cities have uh, just the regular city election, and some cities have runoff elections. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's important that uh, anyone who wants to run for city elected office double check with the city clerk uh, to understand what the process is to get elected in that city. And the nomination methods um, can vary. So that's the other thing that a candidate will want to check with the, the city clerk and or even the county auditor. So the county auditors administer the elections. Um, ultimately, all of the paperwork is filed with them. And it used to be several years ago that the city clerks were the filing clerks for the city elections, but that changed um, a few years ago. And so the county auditor is the filing clerk, but the county auditor can designate a city clerk to be the filing clerk right. for a city election. So that's the other thing that a candidate will want to check on with the city clerk, find out where they need to file their paperwork. Uh, because the, the, there's the filing deadline 
with the county auditor. Um, but then if they're filing with the city clerk, then the city clerk has the next day by which they need to get paperwork filed with the auditor. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if the candidate uh, gets confused about who they should file with, the default would be take it to the county auditor. The right. paperwork will not be denied at the county auditor's office. I mean, as far as um, if they had designated a city clerk. Right. So the nomination methods include a city primary election, if that city has primary provisions, and if more than twice the number of, if if more candidates than twice the number of seats file paperwork. So for the mayor's seat, that's one seat. If the city has primary provisions and three people file, then there's going to be a primary because then only the top two highest vote getters will move on to the regular election. Right. If in that same city with primary election uh, provisions, only two candidates file for the mayor's seat, then there won't be a primary and those two candidates will appear on the regular election ballot. Right. Um, then there are cities where they have no primary or runoff election provisions and the candidates are nominated either by uh, petition or by convention. Um, I think it's rare that cities nominate by convention. Mm-hmm. Mickey and Katie, maybe you know of, of any or oh, know goodness. if there are I don't, I don't know if we have, well, I mean, there's probably just a few that I've heard of that still that have the convention style. Sure. Um, that's easily like the most rare. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but we it's still out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so um, most often what um, candidates will do is, Um, get signatures on a petition and they'll file that with an affidavit of candidacy with the Mm -hmm. filing clerk. And then um, the cities that have runoff election provisions uh, don't automatically have a runoff. It's just if uh, the number of, well, let me start over. It's the, it's if no candidate receives a majority of the votes for the seats on the ballot. So right. um, if there's you know, a mayor's seat and um, 100 votes are cast and uh, the candidate, none of the candidates receive um, more 51 votes or more, then they're going to move to a runoff. Again, if there are runoff provisions. Yep. So both with the primary and runoff, it has nothing to do with percentages, but it comes down to um, vote totals. Right. And I don't, I don't know if we have numbers on how many cities have which type of system. I would say the most common is just the, the nomination by petition, which is the most straightforward. You know, you get a, a certain number of minimum signatures and you file that and then you're, you're going to be added to the ballot. Um, but there are a number of cities out there that have the runoff and that does, that can complicate, complicate matters a little bit. Um, depending it on, like, as you said, how many people file and then if there's more than the majority, then you got to go through the runoff provisions. And it's not, um, those provisions aren't designated to cities by population. It's simply if the, what the, what form, what election format the city, uh, chose or changed to in the past. Um, right. and so, yeah, we were wondering the same thing. Um, there's no perfect count, at least on our end, of mm-hmm. which cities 
have primary or runoff provisions because in any given election, they could or could not need a primary or runoff. Right. And they're not um, you know, required to uh, file with us a, the form that they use, but uh, we definitely encourage clear communication and a lot of communication between the county auditors and the city clerks throughout this season leading up to the filing uh, period so that everyone can be on the same page and candidates have the right information that they need to um, file the proper paperwork. Right, right. So there's different methods, of course, as you laid out so well. Um, what about just some basics? What is it? What? How is? How does someone become eligible to be a candidate for elective office in Iowa? It is not difficult to be eligible to be a, a candidate for city elected office. The requirements are that um, they are an eligible elector in the city, in the city ward, if applicable, at the time of filing their nomination papers and at the time of the election. So this is not something where they can say, I know I'm going to move into the city in December, but right now we're building our house. So I'm going to go ahead and file and see if I can get on the council. So I'm ready to be a council member right after we move to town. That's not um, allowed. So they do have to be an eligible elector, both when they file their paperwork and at the time of the election. And an eligible elector is someone who meets all of the requirements to register to vote, but does not have to be registered to vote. Um, So those requirements include being a citizen of the United States and a resident of Iowa. They need to be at least 18 years old, and they cannot uh, be a convicted felon unless their voting rights have been restored by the president or governor, including by an executive order. And they cannot be currently judged incompetent to vote by a court. And they cannot claim the right to vote in any other place. Right. So pretty straightforward list of requirements. Yeah, it really is. Um, and so it's it's not a high bar to get to. But that is something for anybody that's uh, not in office now. Just make double check on that. Um, but it, it is pretty straightforward, thankfully, here in Iowa. Um, another thing that we get asked a lot here at the league, I'm sure you all do too, but uh, sometimes there's confusion among citizens and candidates for office about what the city government's role is in their own city election. And while, um, you know, cities themselves do not host the election, so to speak, you know, it's not city staff really managing the election uh, locally, uh, but cities still play a part. So what are the things that you would say that cities can do to kind of help ensure things are done well and it, uh, you know, there's good participation and, and so forth. In my opinion, it comes down to first and foremost, transparency. Um, I'm a firm believer in uh, all levels of government, um, ensuring that their residents, their constituents, um, their taxpayers, their voters are aware of how to find information regarding that level of government. Um, And so I think it it starts with getting information to those residents. Um, And and it can be, it can start as simply as uh, by posting where they need to vote or where they need to post um, their agendas and their minutes. Um, You know, at the 
three places around town. Post information in um, the busiest locations in town. So the post office, the local bank, um, the gas station uh, community boards. Um, I would encourage um, cities to even consider um, talking to the county auditor to see if there's an opportunity to work together to do some promotion. Um, you know, if the city has a website and they can link to election information on the county auditor's website, um, they're certainly always welcome to link to information on our uh, website, but the city clerks um, and even the mayors and, and council members really are, are, their best bet is to work directly with the county auditor because that county auditor is there in the same county. They understand the community and the county auditor has that um, very specific election information for those cities. So the polling place locations, if voting uh, voting equipment is going to be used, um, mm-hmm. if, if there's a chance of flooding coming up um, or heavy rains and that right. could possibly lead to flooding. And so there may be um, a reason to have to change a polling place um, at the last minute. The city clerk and the um, county auditor can be working through that preparation um, well in advance of the election, um, just to have information at the ready so that if they have to get new information or changes communicated to uh, the city residents, they're prepared to be able to do that quickly and efficiently. But in the meantime, um, leading up to the filing period, um, I think it would be very, very helpful if at the city council meetings, um, the the mayor or the council members or the city clerk, however the council thinks it would be best um, to mention at the start, at the close of each meeting, um, just noting that a city election is going to be coming up. And if they are a city with primary provisions, noting when the uh, city primary election would be. Um, but I would also encourage them to reach out to the county auditor and invite the auditor to come to one of the council meetings to give a brief presentation on um, the upcoming election and talk about what will happen in that city. So then if it is a city with primary provisions, the county auditor can explain why there would or would not be a primary, when the primary would be, uh, the filing period, um, and then explaining um, how if there is a primary election, who gets to move forward to the regular election ballot, um, you know, just fostering that communication with the county auditor can be very useful because also the county auditor will be doing outreach throughout the county, um, in part because of some of the changes to the election process, not to the city election process, but changes to the absentee voting period and the pre-registration deadline. And so there might be opportunities for the city to work with the auditor on a mailing in their city or getting information on um, electronic signs in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think it's always very, very good if both the uh, cities and the auditors work together um, well in advance of the election. Yeah, absolutely. Those are all great ideas. I really like uh, having the county auditor come out and just come to a council meeting and talk about the upcoming election, the candidate requirements, filing requirements, things like that. And then cities, all you city listeners, um, you, you, you have to be careful of one thing. You can't use city resources to support or oppose any kind of 
candidate or ballot question, and especially if you have some kind of referendum on like a local option sales tax or anything like that. But you can certainly spread information about polling places, election times, uh, and things like that. And you should. Uh, that I think that mm -hmm. is one of the primary roles for cities during election season is to be a uh, disseminator of information about the upcoming election. Uh, so definitely take uh, take that guidance and and be active in terms of helping your citizens understand what's going on. Uh, so wrapping up, Heidi, one more thing we were wondering is uh, the role of the Secretary of State's office. Uh, as you said, uh, kind, of, kind of at the lead here, that uh, you don't really conduct uh, every single election out there officially, uh, but of course you are the Secretary of State's office in managing elections in a, in a general sense. So what, do, what does your team do in terms of helping uh, local governments conduct their elections each, uh, each time around? We answer a lot of questions. <laughs> I'm um, sure you do. And, you know, of course, we're in constant communication with the county auditors and their election staff, but we do hear frequently from city clerks, uh, mayors, sometimes um, the a few council members, um, but most often it's probably city clerks and mayors, once in a while a city attorney, um, especially in odd-numbered years heading into city school elections. Um, and we are always happy to um, direct people to the correct resources. And sometimes the, the right resource for their question is our office. Uh, sometimes it's about providing um, the candidate's guide um, mm -hmm. for the different elections or providing um copies of petitions or the affidavit paperwork um, or getting them in touch with uh, their county auditor. Certainly, if anybody um, has a concern that they're not getting their questions answered by the, the county auditor, which I think is rare, but if they are not getting the information they need, they certainly always can reach out to us. Uh, sometimes we hear from um, candidates or concerned citizens maybe about um, campaign uh, laws or concerns. And in those cases, we direct them to the Ethics and Campaign Disclosure Board sure. uh, for Iowa because uh, those are the ones who really have to police the, the campaigning rules. We are um, all about the election administration. Right. Um, but we're always happy to put people in touch with the correct resource, and we can always provide um, links to information even on our website. So not just the nomination paperwork um, and the candidates' guides, but also absentee ballot request forms, voter registration forms. Um, but a lot of it is through um, email that we'll receive um, questions from, from folks, sometimes phone calls. Um, and then a lot of people will use our um, general uh, email. So then those come in not directly to um, anyone on the elections team, but they eventually find their way to us and, and we'll get back to folks. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Heidi. There's a lot of great information. Uh, the elections are always important uh, every year. And of course, uh, here at the League of Cities, it's, it's, if, when it's the city election year, it's even more important to us. We have a lot of new folks joining uh, their city councils here in November, and uh, we wish everyone well. And of course, uh, talk to Heidi and the team at the Secretary of State's office. You have questions, and uh, hopefully it's a very successful election season. Thank you very much, Mickey. And if I can take one last quick of minute, um, I just want to 
uh, add to your point about elections are so important and um, you know, city school elections, those local county elections are where um, the, the policy meets reality and we really want to see increased turnout for those elections. Yeah. Um, I think everyone wants to see that. Um, but I wanted to note that we have a program called Safe at Home for victims of uh, domestic abuse. And this gives a person an opportunity to have a private address and they can receive, they can vote by absentee ballot using that private address. So their address, their contact details do not become part of a public voter list. Um, So if um, in the spirit of increased turnout, if there are people who would like to vote, but have thought that that's not possible for them, they're always welcome to reach out to our office and we're happy to share more details with them. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. It's an important program and, and there is more information, of course, but uh, that was uh, started several years ago. And I think it's it's been important for folks that went through something like that to have some assurance of confidentiality um, and protection. Yes. So uh, glad the Secretary of State's office uh, offers that uh, because again, I think it's been a pretty important deal. Yeah, it has been. And they, anyone can learn more uh, by going to safeathome.iowa.gov um, or they can call us at 515-725-SAFE. Perfect. Thank you so much for allowing me to, to share that information. Of course, of course. Yes. And yes, thank you. And also listeners, uh, this, this league will be putting out its city candidates guide, which we put out every city election year in the summer before. Uh, that'll be sent out uh, several copies to each city. We'll have it on our website as well. Um, that's a sort of a basic rundown of uh, the candidates' uh, uh, eligibility requirements, uh, filing requirements, gives a little background on city government, just some basics for anyone running for office, city office, so they kind of get a little uh, sense of what they're up against <laughs> if they do uh, become a council member or a mayor. Uh, so check that out. That'll be coming out pretty soon. And Katie's in charge of all that, right, Katie? It's good to go. It's ready. <laughs> Sounds good. By the time people listen to this, it might actually be in City Hall. Right. I hope so. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thanks for taking the time, Heidi, and sharing your expertise. And it's great to learn more about you as well. You're very welcome. I'm happy to join you both anytime. Yeah. Next time I'll have you back and you can do some comedy for us. <laughs> some jokes about elections. Yeah. <laughs> I would not pick on the cities. Everybody I'm loves the election jokes. So that's good. <laughs> oh, Thanks again. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you guys. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Our next guest is Greg Broussard of Bolton and Mink, one of the league's community alliance partners. Welcome to the square, Greg. How's Thank it going? You. Good, good. I'm glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. And uh, Bolton and Mink does excellent work around the state with cities, uh, one of the league's partners, as I said, and very excited to have you on. And let's begin by sharing your background with the listeners, uh, where you grew up, went to school, who, who you went to prom with, you know, all that fun <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Yeah, uh, gladly. Uh, so I'm an Iowa boy, born and raised, uh, originally from Marshalltown. I uh, grew up there my entire life. Um, nice. I had to go to the best college in the state, so I went to Iowa State. 
Ah, very good. <laughs> got a uh, civil engineering degree. Uh, so ended up graduating, got married the next week, and then moved to Manhattan, Kansas for my first job in uh, the engineering world. Um, my wife and I were in Manhattan for about two years uh, down there doing a variety of engineering projects from municipal to aviation work. Um, mm. And then Iowa called me back. Um, it was one of those things that everybody always says that you leave Iowa, but you, but you tend to come back. And it, it was true for was true for us. Uh, wanted to get back closer to family, uh, so we sure. came back to Iowa. That would have been in 2011, so almost 10 years ago. Hmm. Um, and uh, was able to luckily transfer between co- the company I worked for at the time had an office in Manhattan and in Ames. Uh, transferred with uh, HWS at the time. I worked there for a couple of years and then uh, was able to get the opportunity to come join Bolton & Mink. And I've been at Bolton & Mink for almost 10 years now. That's cool. So what's your role there with Bolton & Mink? Yeah, so I am a principal engineer with Bolton & Mink and I run the day-to-day operation in our Ames office. Okay. So yeah. through that job, I mean... I'm sure a lot of work with cities on the civil side, doing public infrastructure projects. And yeah, like that. yeah. Um, I've had a, a variety of uh, background in my career. Actually, was hired at uh, Bolton & Mink as an aviation engineer. Uh, oh, cool. And started, uh, and I did a, a mix kind of at the time of municipal work and aviation work. Um, and just really fell in love with the municipal work. And Bolton & Mink allowed me the opportunity to transfer from aviation to municipal work. Uh, shortly after joining and uh, been doing municipal stuff ever since then, uh, working with communities large and small throughout the state. Nice. So I have to ask, as with your aviation background, can you fly a plane? No, I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> I would not put me behind the behind the seat. <laughs> I, I had thought about getting my pilot's license, and then that once you look at the cost, for me, it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, as fun as it sounds, I've heard that is, uh, it's a lot of time and expense. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So what's the latest with you guys? What, uh, what, any kind of projects that our listeners should be looking for when they're out around the state? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, with our offices spread throughout the state, we touch on anywhere from Muscatine in Southeast Iowa to Lamar's in Northwest. So we've, we've got a wide variety of projects. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the more recognizable ones right now, uh, probably one of the big ones is Indianola Downtown Square. Uh, yes. <laughs> I drive by that frequently. Do you? All right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we just started construction on that. That's a beginning of a, of a very large multi-phase, multi-year project. Um, mm-hmm. That'll be a, it'll be a fantastic project when it's done. Uh, being able to revitalize that square, um, taking it from a one-way to a two-way, so working on some of the traffic movement and measures around the square as well. Um, it's an exciting project to finally see get kicked off and uh, excited to see what that looks like when it's done. Um, yeah. It's always one of those things, downtowns are, are very hard uh, to work in sometimes because just coordinating with all of the business owners, making sure you're getting access, you're still maintaining them and and their ability to uh to make a living and don't want to impact that Mm -hmm. in addition to understanding that there is construction and how those two interact with each other is is a a unique balance that we we work to strive to uh, be successful at yeah 
I was actually down there a couple weekends ago for a baseball tournament and in between games, this might reveal, you know, how cool of a dad I am. Uh, we had a couple hours to, to, to just do whatever we wanted. So I drove my son around town <laughs> looking at uh, that project <laughs> and said, yeah, this is, this is gonna, this is a lot, it's, it's disruptive, but it's going to be worth it. Hopefully all the residents and business owners, like you said, they understand that, yeah, it's, it's a disruption, but yeah, you know, when it's all done and, uh, the projects completed, I think everyone's going to be pretty happy. Yeah, I would agree. Mickey, did you have your son recite the directory at the same time like you did <laughs> no, when you no. were little? <laughs> no, I, that's, that's, <laughs> Katie's, Katie's, uh, making fun of me as a young boy. I'm so funny, <laughs> yeah, aren't I? Taking the league directory and me- memorizing mayors and city populations. That's, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's, we can skip past that. <laughs> Uh, so another thing that it's it's been we've we've talked about this a little bit with others but it's been such a strange the pandemic has impacted so many things so we were wondering how has that impacted uh your work as an engineer and and the community development efforts uh in the in our cities across the state yeah that's it's been definitely a uh, a challenging time i think we've got figured out some workflows now for how that works definitely at the very beginning of kind uh, kind of trying to figure out how do we do this working from home but still keep business and progress moving forward Uh, and i think everybody's fully adept now into the zoom teams online meeting stuff Um, but probably one of the biggest challenges that uh, we found was how do you do public engagement during this time of not being able to have public meetings. How do you get consensus uh, for a project that we're working on? So one of the things that we felt like we were very successful at was moving to a variety of different types of engagement, whether that be uh, socially distanced in-person meetings, going to online, uh, working with our GIS staff, we developed a an online tool called Input ID that allows active participation and commenting on projects. And it's a storyboard map uh, with comment sections. We can track the data. We can respond to comments. Uh, Very useful and a very uh, uh, helpful product through that. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the other things that became very apparent to us, at least, was the access to broadband and how... That kind of leads to that community development side of that question. Um, Broadband is becoming more and more important with so many people working at home and how do they get access? It's becoming as as critical as gas and electric because if you're working from home and you have poor access to internet, then that uh, inhibits your ability to do your job and Mm -hmm. to do everything else that you need. So one of the things that we're excited to see is some of the funding that's coming out for broadband. Um, mm-hmm. There's getting ready to be a bunch of it out there and trying to work with cities and communities to understand how to how to use broad, how to utilize broadband even in a construction project. Do you put in extra conduit or how do you coordinate with the local provider during those construction projects to provide better access mm-hmm. for all of their residents? Yeah, um, yeah go ahead. No one does. That's something we're hearing across the across the state, and and even you know well before the pandemic, it's been a, a growing concern. But like you said, there's uh, new funding coming out, and um, it's going to be interesting to see 
how that shapes and what cities do, what counties do in terms of putting in broadband networks or enhancing current ones and trying to to boost that. Because I, as you said, Greg, I, I feel like uh, for a lot of our work, uh, some of this is going to become the new norm in terms of remote working, relying more and more on something internet based. Um, yep, exactly. You know, community, like you said, community engagement efforts. Um, it may be a standard expectation going forward in some cities that you offer some kind of online participation tool for council meetings or planning and zoning commission meetings, things like that. Uh, so it, it's going to be an adjustment period for sure. That's uh, that's where you guys step in, right? Help these cities plan it all out. Yeah, exactly. Um, we're actually working on an article right now uh, in partnership with the Iowa Communication Alliance on how to utilize some of that funding that's going to be out there for those rural cities. Um, and because a lot of that funding requires a partnership between the rural city and a broadband provider. And so partnering or uh, working with the Iowa Communication Alliance on that article, we're trying to provide tools for those rural communities to know where to uh, where to find that partnership, how to develop that, um, and working through uh, the ability for them to develop a funding strategy utilizing both private private and public uh, to go after that funding that's available. Right, right. Well, that's going to be something to keep an eye on for sure. And as we wrap up, we always like to ask this is, do you have any uh, personal favorite projects to share that, uh, you personal know, maybe you've project. left your there's, fingerprint on? There's so many. Uh, I, I think probably one of the ones that I'm currently in the process of and looking forward to seeing kind of how it, how it transitions is going to be um, working with the city of Marshalltown. Obviously mm-hmm. I am from the city of Marshalltown. And so uh, they've had a rough couple of years, a uh, tornado hit in 2018. Yeah. Uh, the and so it, and a lot of that damage was on the exact same side of town, yeah. uh, which happens to be the same side of town that I grew up on. My parents' house had uh, quite a bit of damage for both of those, but uh, right now we're working with the city of Marshalltown on a, downtown revitalization uh kind of an implementation plan they did a a master study or master plan to kind of figure out after the tornado okay where do we go from here now we're helping them take that plan and actually implement it developing strategies funding uh, that type of stuff so i'm really excited to see that town be able to come back from being hit twice with two natural disasters Mm -hmm. and really be able to thrive and expand what they're doing. It's such a great town. I'm, I'm excited to see what they can do. Well, that's really cool. Definitely tracking that. And they have put in so much time and effort and they, I know they have a lot, a long way to go. They'll tell you that, but yeah, uh, as you walk downtown, the, the landscape and just the visual, uh, the visual appeal is, has changed so much with so yeah. many buildings being gone or partially gone. And just the, the ability for what can happen in the future. I'm very excited about that. No kidding. Yeah. Great to see. Well, hey, Greg, thanks for drop, jumping on the square. Always appreciate your service to the cities across the state and as well as everyone at Bolton and Mink for what you guys do. Um, again, thank you for your time. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you, Greg. And Katie, should we do the next part? Yeah. Like to close? Okay. Yeah. All right, ready? Well, another uh, great episode, Katie. Uh, thank you for you know reminding me of the, my childhood 
weird <laughs> habits, memorizing strange city facts. It, it uh, served you well. Yeah. Glad glad yes. we got to talk about that again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, for all the listeners, uh, as our usual reminder, stay up to date with everything on League Weekly. Follow us on social media with Twitter and Facebook. Send in your questions and comments to the square at iowaleague.org. Or just talk to Katie. She's got an answer for everything. I'll just ask Mickey. <laughs> right. But yes. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks see for you listening. Next time. Yeah, we can